Welcome to My Bible Study, a verse-by-verse devotional study through the Bible with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. In this unique series, Pastor Bob takes you through the Bible just a few verses at a time. No preaching, just a simple Bible reading with examples and explanations of the meaning behind the Scriptures. My Bible Study will take you from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation. Now, here is Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Now, God's calling is to bless. Uh, God's calling will lead to a blessing on our children. In, in verse uh, 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I'll give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Even though Abram had left his home and much of his family in Ur while following God's call, it would bring God's blessings upon his children. He didn't have kids. That was a faith step. God appeared to Abram when he got to Canaan and said he'd give that land to his offspring, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. He didn't have any children. Now, did Abram say, God, don't lie to me. I don't have any kids. Well, eventually his faith did get a little weak in that area, and God had to remind him, look at the sand, look at the stars. You're going to have kids. Right. Similarly, the greatest thing we can do for our families and our children and our grandchildren is to obey God's call. Yes, obeying God's call means at times you may be uncomfortable doing it. It means living a life of faith, but God's a rewarder of those who pursue him by faith. Amen. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to God must believe, first of all, that God exists. And second of all, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Praise the Lord. God's reward, God rewards those who seek him. Some of the greatest rewards that God gives and to our children and our children's children is the gift of eternal life. Abram never received the land in his lifetime. He never got it in his lifetime, but his children did. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 5, 6 says, You shall not bow to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But I'll show love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Hallelujah. You know, God blesses to a thousand generations those who love him and keep his commands. Because Abraham loved and obeyed God, God displayed his love to Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's children. Similarly, God's favor on David's life followed to his son, Solomon. The decisions we make today do not just affect us. They also affect our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. This is true with God's blessings, but it's also true with God's punishment. Again, Exodus 20, verse 5 says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, down to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That does not mean that God punishes us because of what our fathers did. It does not mean God will punish your children because of what you did. It does mean that that sin affects us. It does mean that your sin affects your children and your grandchildren. When Israel rebelled against God in the promised land, leading to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, their children had to stay in the wilderness with them during that 40 years. 
They were affected by the consequences of their father's sin of not believing God. And many of those children eventually struggled with the same rebellious attitude that was in their father's hearts. Is it no surprise to see that Abraham lied about his wife being his sister? Not once, but twice. Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. This same sin of lying about your wife was found in his child as well. Isaac lied about his wife to Abimelech in Genesis 26. Just like that, Jacob, Abraham's grandson, he was a compulsive liar. And after that, Jacob's children sold his son Joseph into slavery and lied to Jacob about it. So not only did Abraham lie, but then Isaac lied, then Jacob lied, and then Jacob's children lied. There's four generations right there. Our sins will commonly follow our children and therefore bring the same punishment from God that we receive. That's why alcoholism and drug abuse, homosexuality, children out of wedlock, witchcraft, go from generation to generation. You've seen the statistics. Well, if your parents were an alcoholic, you're probably subject to being an alcoholic. Why? Because that sinful curse is flowing downhill. You can break the curse. Jesus is a curse breaker if you seek him. But if you don't, you're going to have to live with it. My father was an alcoholic. I was an alcoholic. But I broke that curse. Glory to God. My, fam my kids are not alcoholics. Praise God. Hallelujah. But consider this. Whereas our rebellion has affected the third and fourth generation, our faithfulness to God has effects for a thousand generations. The rewards for obedience are greater than the punishment for sin. Let, that should be what motivates us to be faithful and obedient to God's call on our life. The lives of our children and our children's children depend on it. Amen? But did Abraham actually lie to the king? Now, that's where I want to spend some time here looking. I just, I, that, that was my introduction. Glory to God. <laughs> Granted, Sarai really was Abraham's or Abram's half-sister, right? Making Abram's claim, well, she's my sister. Technically, that's true. It was true. Does Scripture offer any examples in which telling a half-truth is the right thing to do? Well, let's go to Proverbs 12, 22, and 23. That offers some insight on that. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who deal truthfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. Now here the Lord condemns lying and praises those who tell the truth. Just as clearly the Lord calls the person who keeps some knowledge to himself wise. God seems to agree it can be foolish to tell everything you know. How many times have you heard that one? All right. I think it was Abraham Lincoln says, better to remain silent and thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. Amen. Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. Jesus frequently declined to answer everything people asked him questions about. Yet he never lied. Isaiah 53.9 says, nor was any deceit found in his, the Messiah, Jesus' mouth. 
Here's an example. Jesus kept some information back from his half-brothers. In John chapter 7, verse 8 through 10, they taunted him, urged him, go up to Jerusalem, proclaim yourself as the Messiah. He told them, no, I'm not going up. You go up to this feast. I'm not going up yet. And my time's not fully come. Then, when he said those things to them, he stayed in Galilee when they left. After they'd gone up, Scripture says he also went up to the feast, but not openly. But as it were, in secret, it says. Jesus didn't lie to his family. He didn't go up with them, right? He held back information they did not need to know, nor were they entitled to have. Why? Because at the time, they didn't believe. In the case of Abram and Pharaoh, by concealing information that would have been customarily provided to the king, Abram implied that he wasn't married to Sarai. He used the literal truth to imply an untruth. Now, that action is similar to our concept of what we call sins of commission and sins of omission. Abram's sin was one of omission. Not technically a lie, but it amounted to a lie. Furthermore, Pharaoh was required. He needed this information to avoid both a cultural no-no, taking a visiting dignitary's wife for his own harem, and to avoid making an offense to God. Even if it was, wasn't his God, it was Abram's God, you still, kind of like the modern political society we are in today, you still have to give that person's, you know, you don't have to worship his God, but if they want to worship a false God, that's up to them. Okay, that's what's called freedom of religion in the United States of America today. You have someone who may not worship the same God we do, but that's their right to do so. All right, so you don't want to, you know. It, here's an example. We'll say Islam. They don't eat pork. They don't eat pork. To them, eating pork is a no-no. Just like Jews uh, don't eat pork. If I said, you're here in my house, you'll eat a pork chop. Bless God, you will eat this pork chop. That's an offense to them, right? See, it's their right to, re to worship how what they believe is how they should worship their God. Does that mean that now, since uh, Muslims don't eat pork, let's outlaw all pork consumption in the United States? No. That's why I'm talking about going to extremes. Here, Pharaoh was required to know certain information so he would not offend another god. And his culture, the culture he lived in at the time was, you don't have sex with a married man's wife, right? So this was what he was trying to find out because Sarah was beautiful. And he's like, wow, you know. She, she's something special here, uh, Abram. Who is she? Oh, she's my sister. Technically true, but not a complete truth. It was a half-truth. So uh, because he lacked the information he was entitled to, Pharaoh was actually about to interfere with God's plan to bless the whole human race through the Abrahamic covenant. He told Abram that the you're going to have a child through Sarah. But if 
Sarah suddenly became property of Pharaoh, how was that going to happen? So Abraham's deception put Pharaoh and later Abimelech as well in danger of not only violating their own cultural standards, but also sinning against God. Many times people want information from you that's actually none of their business or information they have no right to have. As we say in the military, you have no need to know. That's on a need-to-know basis only. right? In this case, Pharaoh needed to know. He needed this information. He was entitled to complete disclosure concerning who's Sarah. Sarah. Oh, she's my sister. No, Abraham says, she's my wife. And that would have been the end of it. Abraham actually endangered Sarai by failing to protect her, by not telling the truth. You know, you either believe God or you don't. Maybe he assumed God would guard her honor for the sake of this covenant by providing an heir through her. Maybe God will protect her. And he did. But God's charge to Abram was take care of your wife. The Bible does not record God telling Abram to conceal Sarah's marital status. Therefore, Abram was not only imprudent, he was presumptuous as well. He was like, maybe God will take care of her, but I'm scared that he won't take care of me. Now, where's your faith at in that? You know, We call Abraham the father of our faith. Where was the faith in that? Sometimes people wrestle with the righteous lie issue. You know, One common question is whether it's wrong to lie and protect an innocent life. Well, no matter how you answer that question, it seems that the life Abram was trying to protect was his own. Not his wife's, his own. He was actually saying, I'm going to give up Sarah as long as I can stay alive. He was putting his wife, the one God says a, a husband is supposed to protect, he was putting his wife in harm's way to protect his hide. He had no faith in God to protect him. No matter what Abram was thinking, no matter how technically true his deception was, his actions, it was a bad testimony for the God he worshipped, especially in the court and in the presence of a pagan king. They saw, ultimately, they saw Abram as a deceiver. Now, who else do we know is called a deceiver? Satan, the devil. And here Abram, the father of faith, is seen as a deceiver in his witness about the power and the majesty of the God he worships. That is not the father of faith. It is the father of faith, but is that a testimony for the power of the father or the uh, of the faith? Bless God. A sneaky coward who deceived them and put them and their own nation in danger of a vengeful God. That reputation reflected, that was a bad reflection on Abram and God. Abram didn't just do this once, he did it twice. You think this idiot would have learned from the first time around. He didn't. He did it again. He endangered his wife a second time and his testimony before a pagan God. I mean, you're, we, we studied this on 12. Let's 
go over to chapter 20 for a second, just to compare what's happened in 20 and, 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 and what's happened in chapter 12. You know, no, Abram and Sarah are nomads, right? So they continue traveling after this, and they end up in the, the nation of Gerar. And Abram once again said of Sarah, oh, she's my sister. Surprise, surprise, as Gomer Pyle used to say. And Bemelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Right? Verse 2 in chapter 20. Evidently, she remained in his harem for quite a while. This, you know, reading through the scriptures, it just goes verse to verse. This had to be maybe a year, maybe a little bit less, but it had to be a while. And here's why. Because it says, she remained in his harem for some time for all of Abimelech's women became barren in verse 18. Now, there is no way. Look, I don't know how many women were in the harem. There could have been 30. There could have been 100. I have no clue. Bible doesn't say. But think of it like this. How could the king have known that all of the women in his harem had become barren? They're his women. Nobody else would dare have sexual relations with the king's women. Right? They were his women. If someone did, they were killed. So... He had to have had sexual relations with all of the women in his harem multiple times and finally figure out, how come none of them are getting pregnant? Usually there's, you know, uh, different stages of pregnancy all along because that's, you know, that's what the kings do. They're trying to, you know, build up their, their clan for, you know, the passing on of the kingdom and all that. And... How long did he have to go before he realized none of the women in his harem were getting pregnant? Now, up till then, everything was normal. Okay, now suddenly, none of them are getting pregnant. When did this start to happen? And that's when he starts thinking about, it's when this guy Abram came. I took his his sister into my harem. Now, as you can read elsewhere, the uh, especially in the book of Esther, the tradition was there was a period of time when the new inductees into the harem would spend this time purifying themselves before they went into the king. Right. So it suddenly dawned on him. Well, none of these other women have become pregnant, but I haven't, I haven't had relations with her yet. So, you know, this is one of those, uh, you know, guess who's going to come to dinner tomorrow night moments, right? And then at that point in time, God came, you know, it says in verse 3, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, you're a dead man because of the woman you've taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech, you know, woke up, whoa, there's the issue right there. His God has caused this problem because he lied to me. And and Bublock reminded God, hey, hey, he said, she's my sister. He said, I didn't do this on purpose. I, I'm innocent here, you know. I, I didn't do this on purpose in verse 5. 
because since Abimelech had not taken Sarah to his bed yet, God agreed. And Abimelech, yes, you are innocent of violating Sarah's marriage. So God told Abimelech, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart. One way of looking at this in light of what he just said, like I said, is that, you know, uh, tomorrow night, she's the one. We're going to try this with her. And God intervened at that point in time supernaturally to keep Sarah pure for Abram. Okay? And God moved into action, just as we discussed. And when the king told God he was innocent, saying, hey, I relied on the testimony of Abram, you know, and what he said, and even up to now, I still haven't had any relations with her. God told him that I understand that, and I'm the one. He said, God himself said, I am the one who kept you from sinning with Sarah. He kept Sarah off of his mind up till this time. And it did two things. One, God shut up the wombs of all the other women, and that got Abimelech's attention and got him pondering all these things, and now he understands why. Right? So God did not require Abimelech to pay any type of, of redemption price for Sarah, you know, because he hadn't done anything wrong. He had not done anything wrong to Sarah. He was treating her well. She was in a purification process. God just said, give her back. Give her back. Matter of fact, ask Abram to pray for you. So Abimelech not only gave her back, <laughs> according to the, the verses, you can almost, he obviously gave Abram a piece of his mind. <laughs> Put it like that, right? And then he chose to give Sarah back and even gave a thousand pieces of silver. As he did so, he told Sarah, and the King James Version literally translates, Behold, I have given your brother, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. He is to you a covering of your eyes, of the eyes, unto all that are with you and with all others. And Bemelech publicly declared he had had no sexual contact with Sarah whatsoever. And then he rubbed Abram's and Sarah's nose in their brother-sister claim. Right? Because she could have corrected him. You know, who's this woman? Oh, she's my sister. And Sarah said, Sister? I mean, she could have spoke up. She didn't. She was in on this as well. Remember, Abram had told her, hey, if anybody asks, say you're my sister. So she was in on it too. And then Abimelech here, he decided he's going to rub their noses in these lies. Right? He's going to call them out on it. And Abimelech's words also reminded them that it was Abraham's responsibility as a husband to protect his wife. Abraham as a husband was to cover Sarah with his protection, which came from God. Now, God till, get, did tell Abimelech, ask Abram to pray for you. In Genesis 20, verse 7, it's saying, for he is a prophet. The Lord wanted Abimelech to know that the power to bless or to harm is in God's hands alone. God let Abimelech know that being treated unfairly by someone did not excuse improper behavior on that person's part or erase the consequences of his actions. Furthermore, when Abram was put in the position of having to pray for Abimelech, he would have been undoubtedly reminded that it was his own lying mouth and those lying actions 
because he went a whole year letting that lie just live on, right? Until it was exposed. It was Abram's own actions and his own lying mouth that was the cause of the curse in the first place. In one sense, Abraham had to pray to God to clean up his mess. The trouble he had personally brought upon other people. How many times have you had to pray a prayer like that? Times when, when things you did caused harm to others. I know I've had situations like that in my life. If you say you have not had a situation like that in your life, I think the first thing we need to do is cast that lying spirit out of you. Amen? Everybody's had that. Everybody's done that. Now, let's go back to chapter 12. Let's get ready to wrap up here. Jump on down to, uh, we've pretty much covered the entire chapter. We'll jump down to about verse 19. Because it appears that Pharaoh never really gave, remember we've been talking about Abimelech in chapter 20. Now we're back to Pharaoh again. Pharaoh, it appears, he never gave Abram a chance to respond about why he lied, right? He said, Pharaoh called Abram, said, What's this thing you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I might have taken her to be my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go away. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, he and his wife and all that he had. It doesn't appear Pharaoh even gave Abram a chance to talk to him about it. He didn't even give him a chance to respond about why he lied about this. I mean, that could be a possibility, but you don't see it right there, do you? Now, Pharaoh may indeed have been uh, imposing a rhetorical questions to him. I mean, that certainly would have been his right. He's the king. Nobody's going to interrupt the king. And he was, you know, here as a king, he's chastising an honored dignitary guest who had deceived him. Pharaoh had good reason to be upset. Oh, he was hot. And no answer Abram could have given would have been an excuse in Pharaoh's eyes. And it definitely would not have repaired Abram's damaged testimony. So in what way did our prophet, our sinful prophet, Abram, have a bad testimony? For starter, he'd shown that he could, at times, be selfish. He could be sneaky. He could be deceptive. All really good Christian traits, right? I say not. So in what way did our sinful prophet Abraham have a bad testimony? Right? He was a liar. He was selfish. He was sneaky. If Abraham could not trust his own God when there wasn't even a visible threat, why should these pagan kings believe Abraham or believe in his God? Why give Abraham's God a second thought? Obviously, he doesn't trust his God to protect him. And that's the testimony a lot of Christians are having today. You know, people are looking at you fearful in this pandemic. Fearful. What are we going to do? Well, pray. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. But what are we going to do? Yeah. Trust God. Everything else, God will... He'll bring thoughts to your mind about whatever it is, situation you're looking at. In the pagan's eyes, if you don't trust your God, why should I trust your God? Well, because he forgives your sins and gives you everlasting life. I know, I know, but 
Why aren't you saying that publicly in the face of this pandemic? Why aren't you standing up for your God when all hell's breaking loose all around you? Why are you ducking for cover as well? Don't shut me down when I'm preaching good. In your life, amongst those you live and work with and socialize with, you're supposed to be a living testimony for Jesus Christ. What's your testimony in their eyes if all you do is participate in worldly pleasures, you cuss like a sailor, you partake of you know alcohol and drugs and all the other things, you know the lies and the deceit and the gossip and things like that, and yet you say, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. Why aren't you living like a Christian? Why would someone who does not know Jesus Christ listen to anything you have to say about Christianity and salvation? What? Why? Why would they do that? You're lying just like Abraham did to protect yourself. You want in the in the eyes of your peers at work, in the eyes of, of uh, other people, your testimony is, she's my sister, you know. Do what you want. I'm I'm one of you guys. Hey, let's go out to the club Friday night. Sure, let's go. Hey, let's go over here and, and oh look at that idiot over there. They're so that all those that group of people over there, that color people over there, that nationality people over there, that religion over there. You know that, 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 that gossip, gossip, gossip. Yep, yep, yep. I'm right there with you, cussing like a sailor all the way. And then when it's like. Oh, I can't do that. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian? Really? What they're saying is, I'd have never guessed. Is that the testimony you have? That nobody even knows you're a Christian unless you tell them? They should be able to see it. Bless God. So why would anyone who doesn't know Jesus listen to anything you have to say? And that's the same as these kings and Abram. As we decide how to speak... We have to follow the whole counsel of Scripture. We should be wise enough to know when to speak and when to be quiet. What we say needs to be seasoned with salt, Colossians says. Wise, edifying, and incorrupt. If we find ourselves trying to be clever enough to figure out how to avoid technically transgressing this fine line, like a technical truth to implying a big untruth, Maybe we should examine ourselves a little more closely. Are we being honest with ourselves about our true relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are we trying to rationalize all this? Well, you know, when I was 12, I asked Jesus into my heart. Haven't been to church since I was, you know, 18. And, you know, haven't really lived my life for Jesus. But I remember the pastor told me once saved, always saved, so I can live like a demon right now because I know when I die, I'm still going to heaven because Jesus is in my heart. No, he's not. If you truly accept Jesus as your Savior, Jesus said you will know the tree by its fruit. That does not mean you got to go volunteer every day down at the homeless shelter and all this stuff, right? Paul said, show me your works by your faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, faith is all that matters. You can volunteer every single day at a homeless shelter, eight hours a day, 
and go to hell when you die. You don't have to volunteer one day at a homeless shelter and you can receive Jesus as your Savior. As long as it's a true, honest understanding of who he is and what he's done for you. That thief on the cross next to Jesus never graced the doors of a church, never was baptized in water, never prayed to receive the Holy Spirit into his life. But hanging there, he realized who Jesus was. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Folks, it all comes down to what's in your heart. How can we know the Bible's true? Well, among all the reasons, other reasons I could give, one thing stands out that bears noting. God does not hide the mistakes made by Old Testament or New Testament prophets or saints. Like us, they had to navigate through life faced with surprises, fears, and uncertainties. Like us, they had basically feet of clay. But the bottom line with God is faith, not human perfection. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 Abraham, a real man with both virtues and vices, virtues and faults, believed God. Yes, he sinned in these areas, but he still believed God. And God counted that belief for righteousness and called Abraham his friend. Praise God. We can learn from Abraham's mistakes, and we can appreciate God's grace in his life, because through faith, the same grace of God that was given to Abraham is also freely available to us. Jesus Christ will even call us, like he did Abraham, friends. Amen? Glory to God. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, this is a great time to do so in the day and hour in which we live. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on that cross in my place. And I thank you that you had the power within yourself to raise yourself from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave forever. And then saying, whosoever will, whosoever will believe that I did this, shall have the forgiveness of sins and the gift of everlasting life. Thank you for saying that. Lord, I receive you as my Savior. I believe that sacrifice was in my behalf and that God raised you up from the dead, that you've been ascended up into heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, making intercession for those who believe in you. And I believe that right now with all my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Take over my life and call me friend of God and a child of God. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org because we want to rejoice with you. Until next time, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for joining Pastor Bob as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible in this series called My Bible Study. 
We pray this study will bring you closer to God and reveal His Word and His will for you through the Scriptures. We would consider it an honor and a blessing if you would support this outreach with your financial offerings. We have partnered with Patreon to offer you unique gifts and benefits for various levels of giving. Please visit our page on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash my Bible study podcast, all one word. That link again is patreon.com forward slash my Bible study podcast, all one word. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.